0: D.C.
1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money.
2: We give common sense solutions to your complex problems.
1: I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years experience providing
2: financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have a MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey local provider, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years.
3: And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Great day today guys yes beautiful Isn't it always saturday. great yes. here
1: on a master's <clears throat> saturday getting yeah. ready for masters it's right. just awesome beautiful
2: time of the year it is it's just, just special beautiful time of the year I, you know, it's gonna be a great one of the great week one of the premier you know sporting events really in the world out there yeah, yeah. it's it really right is. here in our
1: backyard it is it's just classic you know and we got the drive chip and putt going on here you know um third year yeah, doesn't get any better than this. This is this is definitely my favorite are time you, of the year. You
2: participating in that?
1: I'm uh, playing a lot of golf this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's my participation. There you go. I, I That's mean, good. And They're in spirit. There you, you know? go. Yeah. it should be a great week, though. It Should be a very interesting year. Um, you know, who knows how to turn out? But yeah, there's, there's always is. some great young guys that are mm-hmm. that are right there, chomping at the bit, playing well. So, uh, sure, are, sure are. we're excited to have you listen to us today on a weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m.
2: Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a uh, link in the top right-hand corner that you can stream us, also the dial, 1230 a.m. And uh, we have a podcast. You can catch a show. uh, If you missed one, you can go back and listen to it or, you know, keep up with the money doctors. We um, sort them by title, so there's a lot of different ways that you can, can listen to them, and you can download them to your iPhone or, you know, listen to them podcast. Exactly.
1: And check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Um you can link to us there with your questions or you can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well guys, I think we have an awesome show lineup for the day. As usual, got interesting stuff. Um, you know, one of the things we're gonna talk about are Lessons from Shark Tank. Mm-hmm. There are great lessons for small businesses that come out of these Shark Tank, um, Oh you yeah, know, the show that, and the people that come up there. I just love that show. That's a great and, show. And, and there really are a, a lot of really good things that you can apply to your individual business, particularly if you're in small business. So we're going to talk about the lessons that come out of that. Great article
3: here out of uh, Bottom Line Personal. That's right. And then we're going to take a look at uh, U.S. manufacturing, you know. Is it dead or is it not? We're going to actually take and and look at some interesting facts surrounding uh, manufacturing. Kind of surprising, yeah. And just you know how that actually affects us here locally too. Mm -hmm. We we actually produce and manufacture quite a few things here in the Augusta, South Carolina, Georgia area.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to end up with uh, an article out of Dave Ramsey's uh, shop, and uh, it's uh, the key to winning with money. And um, you know that's a code word for budgeting. And so we have five budgeting myths. But you know we see people that win with money, and we see a lot of them that are that are you know telling their money where to go and that's what you do when you budget so we're going to dive into some myths that people fall for and the reasons they don't budget yeah that'll be a great segment too but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week yeah this comes from the uh, federal reserve bank of new york and it's a pretty amazing stat here 43 million americans have some level of of student debt from attending college 43 million wow. have some level and you know i guess those are probably 43 million that would vote for bernie sanders right
1: yeah i was gonna say <laughs> bernie's gonna college. fix all that right yeah right no no yeah, calls to no college problem. anymore. he'll just and he should just wipe out that debt i'm sure yeah but you know i mean the truth is um you know it, it it's 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 for most people it's something worth spending money on and it's worth going into debt for. Yep. Um, as long as you have an effective education and, you know, you can pay that off. You're going to get a job where, they, where yep. you can afford to pay it off.
2: And there are some ways to, to minimize debt. Uh, we, we talk with clients uh, frequently about uh, strategies, 529s, uh, education savings accounts. Um, but also going locally, going to some community colleges, you can cut your bill by 75% and not have any debt coming out. And that's huge. Yeah, it is. That and,
1: is. And that's the key to it, I think, is just control. The, just be cognizant of what you're spending on college. Going locally, nothing wrong with that. Go a couple years, you know, right. to a local college, then transfer right. to the college you Get want go to go to. Get
3: credits and move but,
1: on. But, you know, if there's no good reason not to, go to a state-supported college where you can, you know, apply some scholarship money and, and just be cognizant of what you're spending on your education.
2: And, is, and Dave also talks about, the, you know, the child working you know,
3: make sure they have a job, Pay for exactly. part of it. You know, we actually exactly. just went through that uh, session there in our FPU class mm-hmm. last yeah, night, right? So, I mean, it, it, it he lays it right out there for you. Yeah, right? that's right. So, forty three million Americans
2: don't don't fall into that uh, into that bucket. Exactly. Good, great financial fact of the week.
1: Okay, and that leads up to our first topic here, and that is small business lessons from the Shark Tank. You know what a great show that is. I mean, did you ever think though that you could come up with a, a an idea? that would make millions of dollars, I mean, that's the premise behind Shark Tank. You know, it's a six-year-old hit reality TV show that, you know, offers the budding entrepreneurs a make-or-break opportunity. You know, they go on the show, they pitch their young businesses to a panel of six sharks. They're all self-made millionaires or billionaires, like Mark Cuban, owner of the NBA Dallas Mavericks. The the sharks criticize, they cajole, they wheel and deal, and then they decide whether or not they're going to invest their own money in exchange for an equity in these small companies. And those interactions, though, on the show, they generate lessons That are valuable, not just for the participants, but also for anyone with a small business or an idea that that might someday make you a fortune. So today we're going to talk about the business advice from the Sharks and the secrets to their success as proven on the Shark Tank. So here are some of the most useful lessons from Shark Tank that could help your small business or propel your idea into success. So we're going to jump right into these guys. Lesson number one is... The best businesses offer simple, affordable solutions to real-world problems rather than the complex, expensive solutions. It's the keep it simple principle, right? Yeah, this is a tried-and-true rule for any business. You have to be able to keep it simple and boil your business's value down to a simple solution to a real problem.
2: Yeah, so here's a success story, and I like the way this is kind of laid out. There's a success and then there's a loser um, story in here. So this is a good one. You know, if you think about eyeglasses, are you constantly losing or dropping your eyeglasses? So there was a simple solution that won an investment on Shark Tank. It was a $10 um, product. It's called Ready Rest, and it uses small, high-powered magnets that clip to your shirt, and they provide a secure, convenient place to hang your eyeglasses. So Lloyd uh, Griner, she's one of the, the sharks on there. She's known as the queen of QV, QV, QVC because of her popularity uh, on that shopping network. She agreed to invest $150,000 but she demanded an unusually big 65% controlling share in the business. So most of them are 20 to 30, sometimes yeah. 40%, but 65 is very high. So Griner, who had already sold tens of millions of dollars of other eyeglass products on QVC, offered something more valuable than money. She offered marketing expertise and also nationwide exposure. Great yeah. shark. But see, well, listen what it got her. What it got them. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. I mean, since
1: the episode aired Ready Rest, chalked up $8 million in sales on QVC, and Grainer helped Hopper, the, the owner of this small company, get the product into stores like Walmart. Oh, yeah. So that's they've a gone bananja. big time. Yeah. They really have. Although I thought 65 percent's is a little greedy, <laughs> but uh, that's quite a success story, though. Yeah, now here's the Shark Tank loser. Ionic Ear offered a complex solution to address the problem of audio earbuds that never quite fit right yeah, into I your that, ear. I have that issue. Yeah. Really, don't we all have that issue? Well, <laughs> you know, the Bluetooth device that had be, had to be surgically implanted in your ear canal. <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah. The sharks were dumbfounded. Um, one wanted to know whether additional surgery was
2: required for upgrades yeah i remember watching that one that was like are you kidding me yeah that's crazy so that's
1: surgery. A, that's, yeah
3: interesting you know it's not that hard it's not that difficult it's well I'm, I'm glad they didn't want to do samples for the uh, sharks there yeah that's you know? right. do we have any volunteers yeah there you go we'll surgically <laughs> implant this new year so that was the first lesson keep it simple and have
1: a real life solution to a real world problem number two here is play up your secret sauce I mean, what do you do that differentiates your business from the competition and gives you an advantage over those who have a similar idea or who could simply replicate what you're doing? Every successful business has a unique angle that makes them special, and you have to play that up, and you have to market that
3: unique angle or secret sauce. Absolutely. It's just, just like the guy uh, named Aaron Krauss, He's an entrepreneur from New Jersey, and he absolutely hated cleaning uh, dishes and pots after dinner, you know, in part because he had to use sponges and scrub brushes and scouring pads, different things that he just really did not enjoy uh, to do the cleaning. So he invented a round yellow sponge made of urethane foam that was distinct enough to actually get a patent. Hmm. And, and here's why. The sponge uh, changed textures at different temperatures. So when it was uh, soft and warm water, it would actually turn more rigid in colder water. And so that was that was allowed him to obtain a patent off that. And uh Laurie Griner again, she jumped on this deal, struck a deal, offering two hundred thousand dollars. This time she only took twenty percent. Oh, okay. You know? But there was a pretty good return. In fact, this has been one of the more successful uh items that that's actually been on the show right steve yeah that's right since the uh, the show aired scrub daddy has
1: become the single most successful product in shark tank history wow sold more than 10 million sponges in stores such as bed bath Beyond and target so, such a simple product yeah absolutely. absolutely very simple product so that was the big winner here here we'll give you the loser real quick um thorax was the business was a business based entirely on selling packs of three socks so that you would have an extra one if you lost one (laughs) yeah but there was a a a, there was very little to distinguish it the actual socks from those of the major competitors that could easily put their own three sock packages together and crush Thorax's business so yeah i mean that the idea made no sense i mean who loses one sock for every two Mm. i mean it just made no sense so uh that was the loser. All right. Well, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at regular business hour, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with
4: us. Money, money, money,
1: money. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Rich, Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the business ideas and lessons from Shark Tank. You know, it's the award winning show. Um, it's been on the air for, you know, a number of years now where, you know, guys go on there and they pitch their their ideas to a panel of sharks, very successful business entrepreneurs themselves who decide whether or not they're going to invest money in these budding entrepreneurial companies. And there's a lot of great lessons that come from this that you can apply to your small business or any small business or idea you have for, for getting into business. And the first one we talked about is, you know, a business has to offer a simple, affordable solution to a real-world problem rather than some kind of complex, expensive solution. So
2: you're saying surgery is complex?
1: Yeah, the, the surgery to offer, you know, for, for the earbud implants there. Ear, the ear, ear you know, that was that was a little complex, okay, and that wasn't a simple solution, so that one bombed. But you know, the guy that did win here was this Ready Rest who had the eyeglasses. He just used powerful magnets to give you a place to put them right there on your shirt.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Great idea. Yeah. You know, everybody needs a place to put their eyeglasses, if they have reading glasses or something like that. So uh, that was lesson one. Lesson two here was to play up your secret sauce. And that's the unique value that your business has over other businesses. Every business, successful business has something. That's your unique value proposition, and you have to be able to play that up, and you have to be able to market that, and um, you know you, you got to be able to do that. Um, you know you can't have an idea that that is um, you know complex and and yeah. is not not based on something unique. And there was this guy, you know, selling three socks. Yeah. You know, and a pack of socks, and that wasn't unique at all. Um, it was just it was something that could be replicated really easily. There was nothing no unique. Value to that. But the Scrub Daddy, which was the single most successful one, did have a unique value proposition, was very successful. That was lesson two. Keep it, play up your secret sauce, your unique value proposition. Number three here is perfect your elevator pitch. You know, when you get in an elevator with somebody, you tend to have a captive audience for about 60 seconds. That's how much time it takes to, to go up the elevator, but that's almost that's also about how much time you get with any business person to make a first impression on a potential customer or investor considering your product. So you need to make them feel like they're in danger of losing out on a huge opportunity to work with you. You know, so so peak their interest with an inspirational story. I mean, then provide them with a solid, crisp idea, a solid grasp of your company's business. And and why it would be of interest to in them?
2: Yeah, so here's a, here's a success story. There was a, an entrepreneur from Alabama. His name was Travis Perry. I like that name, and he created something called Chord Buddy. And it didn't look like a big winner at first. It was a device that that fits on the neck of a guitar, had color coded buttons, and would help teach um, you know students the basic chords on a guitar. But his pitch, which promised that anyone could play the guitar instantly, was so impressive that he had four sharks bidding for his product. And wow. Perry designed the Chord Buddy uh, for Brady, his eight-year-old daughter, after watching her give up on frustration on playing the guitar, which nearly three-quarters of people who start conventional guitar lessons do. And I'll say, I tried to learn guitar, and I may actually buy this. I, I thought I, about I, it, too. I, I remember I, I remember this I do product. I did too. It was very neat. Yeah, so within weeks, his daughter, Brady, was playing with the ho- uh, help of Chord Buddy. And uh, Canadian shark, uh, he's a technology magnet, Robert Herchovec. Herchovec. Yeah. He beat out other sharks. He invested $175,000 for 20% of the business. And since that episode aired, the $49 chord buddy now has generated about a million and a half in annual sales. Amazing. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. For yeah.
1: something so specific, mm-hmm. you know, just, 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 just for simple. guitar
2: players. Very simple yeah. like that.
1: That's a great idea. Yeah. Here's the Shark Tank loser, though, in the same category in, <laughs> inventor Mark Sullivan. Uh, Pitched a plan to install 100-foot-tall generators in the ocean and use the Earth's rotation and seawater to generate electricity. Sounds like a good idea, though. (laughs) In general, it sounds like a great idea if it worked. But, you know, the byproducts were going to be clean drinking water and billions of dollars in gold. His pitch was so unrealistic that it led one of the sharks to inquire how long Sullivan will be visiting the planet.
3: Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think that was Mister Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, that actually yeah, asked. Him. I remember
2: seeing that one. That as was well. a good that one. Was yeah, like that
1: was a crazy scratcher. One. All right, lesson number four here is find an untapped niche in the market. You know, many new business owners are so hungry for customers that they will spend their time pursuing just about anyone that will buy their product or service. But it's hard to compete head on against well established large companies. Focusing on a niche in the market audience um, whose needs are not being met can work much better most markets are very large and you don't have to try to be everything to everyone. So
3: focus on your unique sub-market that fits your specific value proposition. Uh, that, that's right, Steven you, you know, you really have to find a way to make yourself stand out, especially in a large market like this gentleman did. Sabin Lomac, he grew up in uh, Maine and he often went to uh, restaurants, you know, with his family and they loved lobster, you know, go figure, <laughs> from uh, Maine there. Well, when he moved to L.A., lost Angeles, he found that the only place that he could get a decent lobster was at fancy seafood restaurants, and, you know, they charged you just out the nose there, you know, super expensive uh, prices. So he realized that there was, a, there was a need, there was actually an opportunity there uh, for diners that didn't necessarily want to go to expensive restaurants, but they still, you know, wanted a good food experience in a more casual setting. So Lomac and his cousin, they started uh, Cousin's? Main Lobsters. Now, this is the only mobile restaurant food truck in LA serving items such as lobster tacos, lobster mac and cheese, all for under thirteen dollars. And you know, in that market, that's a pretty good lunch. You know, pretty good. Sure. Pretty good uh, value there. So, uh, one of the sharks agreed to pay fifty-five thousand dollars for twelve percent interest of the company. Now, since then, the company has rolled out over. Um, 11, well, in in 11 different cities, uh, they've put out, you know, new franchises, truck, yeah, franchises <coughs> and with revenues of over $7 million last That's year. That's impressive. That is impressive. Wow, makes people. me hungry, too. I know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. It does. It does. It, it does. Sounds lobster taco. I like it. Yeah, here's the Shark Tank loser. In founding Cougar Limited, Ryan <laughs> Custer offered a zero-calorie energy drink that tried to appeal to single middle-aged women who want to feel younger and date younger men. Not only is that market very small, most energy drinks are bought by males in their teens and 20s. But several big competitors, such as Monster Energy and Red Bull, they're already pursuing this niche market anyway. Yeah, they're in
2: there, and they have the distribution. So So the guy had no chance. Yeah. Yeah, that was a loser.
1: All right, lesson number five, the final one here, is pick an effective name. You know, make your name catchy but tasteful easy to remember and a reflection of the product or service that you offer. Um, Although there are plenty of businesses out there that break those rules and they do thrive, I mean, sticking to this rule gives you a lot better chance of succeeding. So the success story here is Raven Thomas, a stay-at-home mom in Arizona um, she launched a business selling chocolate covered pretzels. She gave it a, a kind of a gourmet twist using an elegant packaging and a memorable name that followed all those rules. It was called the painted pretzel By the time she went on Shark Tank. she had gotten her dessert pretzels into some of the department stores She had tur- had to turn down offers of two million dollar order from sam's club because she didn't have the resources to fill it. Cuban offered Thomas $100,000 for 25% of the business and agreed to sell her pretzels and her, his national chain of movie theaters that he owns. Um, since the show has aired... Painted Pressel now comes in more than 100 different varieties, sells in major retail retail outlets, including Neiman Marcus and Sam's Club.
2: I just watched an episode of Beyond the Tank, and they show some of the products, and they yeah. show how they're developing them. Yep. Talking about uh, catchy names, the, the product was called Squatty Potty. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you, gee. You oh yeah I remember that one. that one. And it's very successful. And so, anyway, wow. the name sometimes is catchy, and uh, Laurie Griner is the one that invested in that. And you know, she's very, very bright. Yeah, Painted Prestle was a good one. Yeah. I, I like the name of the that one
1: well, here's a shark tank loser for you here before we go to the break uh Party Posh is a cell phone credit card holder that women can wear around their their thigh under their dress. It was designed to be a stylish replacement for a purse or a handbag, but not only was the name confusing um, and difficult to say, it's pronounced party Posh, but there was a rival company that had a similar name, Porta pocket which was a lot more descriptive of Mm -hmm. the functionality of what it was. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that was a loser. All right. Well, that leads up to break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call during regular business hours. Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and GNN News. Stay with
4: us. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to lead off our next segment here with the question of the week.
2: Yeah, this question um, comes from a uh, a listener, and it says, I listen to Dave Ramsey also on the radio, and uh, I know of his seven baby steps, and they say they know him very well, but not sure where the purchase of a car falls into that mix. Can you help me? And so... I mean, we listen to Dave as well. Dave obviously is a national, uh, you know, syndicated show on 500 radio stations. And so he has seven baby steps, you know, talking about paying off debt and then emergency funds. And then you have retirement, college, paying off the home. And so Dave talks about, you know, things like cars and, and weddings, sometimes saving for a down payment as baby step 3A. So he would basically tell you to stop some of the other steps of paying off homes and so forth and save up your cash in baby step 3a and so it's just kind of like a temporary pause you know you don't want to go into debt for this stuff so you got to stop and save you know cash going forward so baby step 3a is the answer
1: yeah and that's the key is to pay cash for a used vehicle you know and you know if you want
3: to do a vehicle work your way up but the key is to pay cash and save it ahead of time absolutely
4: yeah (laughs) i just just went through that
3: myself you know guys and it was uh it was it's nice knowing that i don't have that car payment each mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly,
1: so, And, I mean, if you have to start off point. with a $3,000 car, so be it, you know? You start that's off right. with that and you work your way up and you save the money till you can, you know, get the 10 or 11,000 a newer used vehicle that you want and, you know, long term that's the best way to, to to pay for vehicles by far and you don't want to be driving your retirement as Dave says. Absolutely. Right. Right. Okay, and that leads us up here to our next topic and that is is US manufacturing really dead
3: or is it is it only mostly dead gordon i don't know that's, you know that's, that's a great question and, and i really like the way that they lay this article out because uh, it it reinforces and it actually answers um those you know that question so you know the u.s manufacturing se- sector doesn't get very much respect these days you know sometimes when you actually ask a a random sample of people on the streets uh you're likely to hear that american or excuse me america doesn't make anything anymore you know everything's going overseas to china or going across the border to mexico different places you know they've taken all of our factory and you know that there aren't enough jobs here in america well you know that's that's not quite true you know um Presidential candidate, Donald Trump, and again, this is just kind of a disclaimer. We're not endorsing Donald Trump here. This is just something that he said. He said, you know, throughout history, at the center of any thriving country has been a thriving manufacturing sector, but under decades of failed leadership, uh, the U.S. has gone from being the globe's manufacturing power- powerhouse, or the envy of the world, through a rapid deindustrialization. Well, Steve, is that, is that true?
1: Yeah, no, it's not. You know, I mean, and this is a great article out on marketwatch.com, by the way. Yeah, with all the myths, I mean, there is some element of truth in in what everyone says. But actually, the numbers of jobs in manufacturing sector has declined by about 5 million since 2000. So the number of jobs has fallen, um, falling from 17.3 million at uh, the turn of the century down to about 12 million, uh, 12.3 today. So, It's fallen quite a bit. I mean, during World War II, when America was the arsenal of democracy, if you will, manufacturing provided more than a third of civilian jobs. I mean, that
3: was was
1: manufacturing back then. And they needed a lot of people to create the same output. That's right. But that share has declined by only 8.7 percent in 2015. Um, and the only one of every 11 jobs is in the factory nowadays. Retail, healthcare professionals, business services, and leisure and hospitality services now employ more workers than manufacturing does. But, you know, I mean, we just we just have to keep in mind, I mean, technology yeah. does change the economy, and it has changed
3: manufacturing <clears throat> dramatically. That's a yeah, huge shift.
2: Yeah, the decline of manufacturing jobs, it makes it appear as if America has, be, has been de-industrialized, but that's not really the case. I mean, America still makes a lot of stuff, uh, but the number of jobs has shrunk because it takes – a lot less workers than it used to and see that's what you're referring to technology has
3: made manufacturing more efficient yeah we we were actually talking about that off the air that was a good point well here are several facts about American uh, manufacturing that you may not know fact number one manufacturing is actually the largest and most dynamic sector of the U.S. economy you know Back in 2010, China actually became the leading manufacturing economy, but the U.S. has maintained a strong second place. Uh, the value added by U.S. factories actually equates for more than uh, the next three countries combined. Hmm and that's huge in and of itself you know That's big so uh, we're still a powerhouse in that respect you know the gross output of U.S. manufacturing uh, industries totaled over six trillion dollars in 2015 and that's about 36% of the U.S. GDP uh, nearly double the output of any other big sector such as professional business services or uh, government and real estate yeah manufacturing is, is definitely at the center of the economy I mean it's
2: it's high connected with most other sectors you think about transportation that's right retail mining utilities business services i mean the list goes on and on and manufacturing companies also account for about 77% of what the private sector spends on research and development each year so if it weren't for manufacturing there'd be very little innovation in the united states so, so there's a lot of correlation there there's a tremendous amount
1: yeah that's a surprising number over a third of our gdp is still manufacturing yeah. so it's a huge percentage of our of our gross domestic product, and yeah, that leads to surprising fact number two here, and that is that manufacturing output is still a near a record high. Um, technology, new ways of organizing work have revolutionized the American factory since the golden age of the eighties today u s factories produce twice as much stuff as they did in 1984 with one-third fewer workers. Uh, there wow. you go.
3: That's amazing. And that's what that, we were talking about.
1: That's it. That's amazing. Yeah, total production of U.S. factories peaked in 2007 before falling 18% during the Great Recession, according to the Federal Reserve Board's uh, you know production report, which measures the volume of, of the services that are put out there. But manufacturing sector has nearly recovered from the recession. Output in 2015 was within... Three percent of the 2007 level, so it is right there, back at the
3: high, guys. Wow, I mean, it's almost there. You know, but but factory output has now stalled with a stronger dollar boosting demand for foreign-made goods at the expense of things made in the U.S. It, it may take a few more years of growth to actually beat that record but you know the output of durable goods was at an all-time high in 2015 more than triple what it was in the 1980 or what it you know in 1980 and double what it was 20 years earlier you know the production of electronics aerospace goods motor vehicles and machinery are at a closer all-time high now on the other hand production of non-durable goods is still down seven percent from its peak Uh, the output of food and petroleum uh, industries are at a record high but the output of chemicals and paper printing industries are off significantly from uh, pre-recession peaks so you know of course, other industries they, they have uh, nearly disappeared. The output of you know, apparel industries we 've seen so much of that you know go overseas uh, that we, we may never see that mm-hmm. return you know, back to yeah. the u s but who, who knows uh, those, those are the factories and jobs that are that, that may be gone for good yeah number three here
2: on the list a surprising what? fact is refined oil is america 's top Manufactured good. I mean, that's that's an amazing that stand there. I mean, most Americans use something every day that's made in America without ever thinking about where it's made. I and mean, that's gasoline. I mean, the crude oil uh, may come from Canada, Saudi Arabia, or North Dakota, but it's refined right here in America. And refined petroleum products such as gasoline, fuel oil, jet fuel—you um, know—they're America's top manufactured product with the value of shipments going out the factory door of about seven hundred billion wow in 2014 and that's more than four times as much as the number two product light trucks so, wow. that, that's, so that's by a, far the biggest product yeah that's, that we that's produce. pretty interesting and
3: just to think i'm not sure if we've had a, a new refinery here in like 30 years mm. very similar to the nuclear industry as well yeah they're very expensive to set up you know so it's not easy for somebody
1: to set up and build a new refinery it takes a lot right of, right a lot of a lot of just a lot of capital. technology mm-hmm. a lot of capital regulations um yeah it's a big ah, what big yes. deal government regulate absolutely on. ouch <laughs> there you go yeah it's getting harder yeah i mean surprising fact number four here right before we go to the break is um america also exports a lot of gasoline um you know, that's not really a surprise. I mean, as you just alluded to, John, I mean, despite what the haters say, the U.S. exports a lot of manufactured goods, $1.3 trillion in 2015. Um, the leading exported manufactured good was civilian airplanes worth $63 billion, followed by auto parts, $58 billion. Pharmaceuticals, $55 billion, Autos, $55 billion. Um, gasoline diesel and other refined distillates, distillates was about forty six billion so yeah i mean uh you know we're 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 sending out a lot of uh a lot of stuff and uh but you know gasoline. Uh, is a lot, is a big one, mm-hmm. really is. So that leads up to our break here. If you have questions, you can email us at info at net, or you can give us a call 706 739 0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money M.D., where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about U.S. manufacturing. Is it dead or is it only mostly dead? Um, you know, It's um, changed. It's changed. That's I think that's a great that's, way to put it yeah. there, John. That's the key. Yeah, it's a great article here on Market Watch and you know, it it technology has changed manufacturing. We still I was shocked though, Gordon. I mean, over a third of our GDP is still comes from manufacturing.
3: I, I agree, Steve. That that Huge number percentage. that number uh shocked me as well. Um th- that's a lot. You know, that 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 is a lot and and the fact that we're doing that with um you know <clears throat> A third less workers than we used to. I think that's the key stat: is the
2: manu the factories have, are producing twice as much stuff as they did in '84 with a third less workers.
1: And, and you know, one of the the encouraging points of this article for me is that we are actually building. Man- we have a lot of onshoring of manufacturing now because right. of technology it requires a lot less workers. It's not so important that in Mexico they, you know, hire people for two dollars an hour. You know, now you don't need all those people, so energy is a big part of it. Our energy is very cheap here in the U.S. We produce a lot of it, so they can come back on shore, back to the U.S., and they can use natural gas and, and you know, technology and robotics, and they can produce a
3: lot of stuff. Well, and, and I hope that we continue to see uh, the return of you know more industries here, uh, things that we are producing here. You know, it, it was a shocking fact that manufacturing is the largest and most dynamic sector. You know of our U.S. economy. Uh, secondly, uh, manufacturing output is near a record high. You know, so that that was that was another one. And the third one that we touched on uh, was refined oil as America's top manufacturing good. Uh, and lastly, here. Uh, america also exports a lot of gasoline Mm -hmm. we also export a lot of that there's there's a lot that's going out uh to the tune of like 62 billion (laughs) i believe it was so you know when we get back to the question is manufacturing dead i don't think so yeah certainly not (laughs) yeah you know I, i i don't think so i just i agree with you steve that i hope that we continue to see it um uh, thrive, and that we continue to see more of it come back here. Actually, um, you know, to stateside. Yeah, we just have to take advantage of the technology, and people have to get
1: skilled for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so they can yep. they can work on the more technology side of it, and and uh, you know get good jobs. So, all right, that leads us up here to our last topic, and that is uh, the prescription of the week. Yes. Right? All right. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Like prescription like that yeah, the prescription of the week. Go ahead. Here we
3: go. Mm-hmm. Well. um, Spend your tax refund wisely, and mm. I think that's pretty pretty straightforward. You mean, isn't like it? a vacation? No, just go yeah. ahead and decide ahead of time where that tax refund's going to go. New golf clubs? Well, okay, if that fits into your budget, there, Steve. That, <laughs> that's not what you're you know, talking about. Though, <laughs> that's not it? exactly what I'm talking about. You're right, but you know, how about this? Pay down debt. Build an emergency fund. If you're uh, eligible for a Roth. Fund your Roth IRA. Yeah. You know, tell your money what to do. Go ahead and have a plan for it because if you don't, it's just going to disappear. You sound
2: like Dave Ramsey or something. Well, yeah. I've
3: listened to him a time or two. We've <laughs> taught that class a time or two, John. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's. So put it uh, away for your future. Is that's what yeah. right. I'm saying. Just
2: be wise with it. Yeah. Good one. Great,
1: great. And that leads up to our last topic here, and that is. Five budgeting myths that maybe, maybe you may be falling for. I was going to say, speaking of Dave Ramsey, yeah,
2: that's right. You know, this is, guys, this is the key to winning with money. It's, <laughs> it's doing a budget, it's doing a spending plan, and. You know, if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything, and that's a, a lyric from an old country song. I was say that's
3: a country song. There, there you go, <laughs>
2: and it makes sense. Um, you know, though it makes you wonder what someone who believes in car leasing might fall for, because that's not a good deal. Uh, and anyway, as you know, um, you know, the money doctors, and obviously Dave Ramsey, you know that we believe in in budgeting, and if for no other reason than the fact that it it works. I mean, we see people that are successful doing budgets and figuring out where they're going to put their money. The worst part of the budget isn't that it's difficult, because it's really not. The worst part is all the misunderstanding and myths that are floating out there about why you shouldn't do uh, the budget. So, you know, we're going to go through some of these myths, excuses, and misunderstandings, and we're going to help you take control of your money through this segment. So the number one here is I don't have time to budget. Um, You know, for the first few months, you might spend a couple of hours a month getting your budget down. But after that, it's pretty much smooth sailing. I mean, you get into a routine and you get used to doing it. I mean, you're simply plugging in numbers and letting math do the rest. And there's some pretty cool tools out there that you can use to help you.
1: Yeah, it really doesn't take that long. So, you know, stop using that excuse. So if you're currently not doing a budget because you think you don't have time, then your priorities must be out of whack. Because if you're too busy to make your money a situation, a higher priority, then we'd be curious to see what you do spend your time for. I mean, so go ahead, create a zero baseline budget for free at DaveRamsey.com. It only takes like 30 minutes at the most. And, you know, you've got to be willing to face your demons demons. demons here and that's what we're talking about, you know, I mean you've gotta be willing to 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 put the time in the effort to to get yourself set up for the future. You know, don't pretend that these demons about budgeting are gonna go
2: away. And again it doesn't take that much time. Doesn't after you do it for you know a couple of months. Number two here on the list is budgets. Budgeting is boring. I mean, you'd be amazed at how many grown adults don't make a budget every month because it's boring. You know what else is boring, as Dave would say, is credit card statements, bankruptcy court, and collector calls. And those are uh, <laughs> probably, those probably are not boring, some of them. Yeah, are. They're, they're a little
3: too exciting. Yes. That's the too. kind of excitement you're not looking <laughs> that's for called necessarily. called anxiety. Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, if you're a free spirit and can't stand the thought of putting a budget together – just take a breath, you know, breathe. You can do this. Once you get the hang of it, you know, making a budget, it, it isn't that bad. Uh, get your get your nerd spouse or friend to help you put it together. But, you know, like you said, Steve, <laughs> just face that demon head on and, and just go for it. Or go to the FPU class. I mean, they teach there you how to you budget go. in there.
2: So Lay it right. out. That's right. Number three here on the list, the the budgeting myth is making a budget is difficult math. And I hate math, so I don't want to do it. And um, you know, budgeting is not rocket science. If you can do basic third grade math, you can make a budget. I mean, you you have your income and you have your outgo, and guess what? They need to equal zero, right? It's income outgo zero. The numbers have to work. They have to add up. And you know, seriously, that that's that's a pretty lame excuse about difficult math. Um, you know, Steve mentioned you know, a couple minutes ago about uh, every dollar. Um, As Dave's uh, free budgeting software online, everydollar.com, to help you get started and make math a little bit easier. So, um, you know, it's not too hard. It can be very, very simple. You can do this in, in an hour a month once you get used to it. So that's number three on the list. Number four here is I do it in my head. Y'all heard that before? Yeah, give me a break. I know. Oh, yeah. If you can seriously do a zero based budget in your head every single month, uh we're uh, gonna assume that you're the most brilliant person <laughs> on the earth, so could you could you go up to the you know, D C and help them make a budget? That's if you can do take- this in your head, yeah, I don't, don't, think, so. yeah, yeah, I don't I, think that's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, a budget in your head isn't a budget. I mean, it's just kind of a, it's a kind of sort of, I've got a vague idea of what I spendish kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, to work, you know, a budget needs to be on paper. Or a spreadsheet or something that you can maintain monthly and track. And besides that, I mean, if you're married and you're doing a budget in your head, then only one of you is involved in that decision-making process. And that's a definite no-no. So, you know, don't kid yourself. You know, you're not doing budgeting in your head.
2: Yeah, people that say that they kind of know, I'll ask them a question, like, how much are you spending on groceries? And they'll be like... Uh, I think five hundred dollars. I'm like, I guarantee you're not spending that. Um, you know, you have four kids, you have three teenagers in there. You're probably spending close to eight, nine, probably a thousand dollars. So, if you're not tracking this stuff, you you're gonna miss it. You know, and then you can't make decisions on it. So make sure that you um, put this on paper. Number five here on the list is I budget by keeping track of everything that I spend. And, you know, that's a good start, but that's not really a budget. I mean, when you're only tracking spending, you're always looking at the past. You're looking at past history, which is a piece of the puzzle,
3: but you're not looking forward. You know, it's kind of like driving, you know, going forward and all you're doing is looking in the rearview mirror. That can be dangerous. You know, that doesn't work. All right. <laughs> so your budget is a plan for the upcoming month. The, the stuff that's out in front of you you know you're you're planning the uh the money you haven't spent yet uh when you keep receipts and you know keep everything online uh that you're looking at you're you're looking behind you so uh don't just do that don't just do one or the other make sure that you do both Mm -hmm. you know so budget that means planning forward yeah
2: and i like to um I, i recommend people i do this for myself i try to budget for a year at a time because I want to see what the total snapshot looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to estimate my income and then I you know can estimate my outgo and then make decisions if I have any extra on what I want to do. Do I want to pay you know extra to the mortgage? Do I want to put more into into retirement? Things like that. So you can make a decision on a macro, but then you have to do it monthly. You have to track you do. every single month. And you can use Quicken, Mint.com, EveryDollar.com. I use Excel. I just I keep it simple.
1: Yeah. The key is to keep it simple. The key is not make it too difficult. Don't think you have to have 47 categories and, you know, track every single dime maybe, you know, of your spending. I mean, just don't make it so big in your head. It's not that that complex of a process. Keep it simple. 10, 12 categories Mm – but do it. That's the key. you got to make yourself do it. Yeah, just do it. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one.
0: PC.